Hello and welcome to another episode of Stratcom Talks. I'm your host, Jafar Hasdan. Today we will be talking about social media security, whether or not our information is safe on the social media. To discuss it, joining me today is Mark Smith. He is the director at Social Media Research Foundation. Thank you very much, Mark, for joining us today. Jafar, it's uh, nice to be here. Thank you for having me today. All right. So, uh, Mark, I mean, this is a question which is on uh, everyone's mind. Is our information safe on social media? Uh, that's a very good question. I, I think what I hear in that question is, is information in social media safe? Because, of course, we do not go to social media to put information that we want to remain private. So the safety of social media data is a little bit different than the safety of, let's say, medical records or financial records, where safety often is equal to the denial of access to the information to people who are not uh, legitimately entitled to access to that information. So in social media, the nature of security is a slightly different beast in that it, all of the information in social media tends to be radically public. And so it's not about denying access to information. It's about accessing information that is of high quality and validity. And that seems to be the crisis at the heart of the social media social problem. And that is that oftentimes when you scroll through systems like Twitter or Facebook and even video services like YouTube and others, what you see is not entirely accurate. It's not factually accurate. And often it is possible to have disinformation injected into these systems. And because these systems are a kind of nervous system, yes, but not an immune system, all sorts of inaccurate data can get equal amounts of transportation and distribution, and large populations can be exposed to information that is not accurate or valid. And so the security of social media information is more about ensuring the quality of that information rather than restricting access to that information. So, Mark, is there a way to filter out, uh, filter out uh, misinformation? Well, you know, there's misinformation and there's disinformation. Uh, misinformation is perhaps when you are wrong, but you don't know it. And disinformation is when you're wrong and you certainly know it. And so we may need different tools for different kinds of low quality information, junk information. And so... In many cases, it might be easier to address the disinformation problem than it is to address the misinformation problem. Uh, and that is because there are dramatically fewer point sources of disinformation than there are of misinformation. Almost all of us have been wrong at one point or another, but very few of us are intentionally wrong uh, in a concerted effort over time. And so we are finding that it is often the case that uh, as few as a dozen or more people, but not hundreds, not thousands, are the root source of uh, disinformation about the efficacy of uh, 
vaccines or the efficacy of masks, just as two topical and very salient examples right now would be. Uh, so the, the good news is there are relatively few sources of disinformation, at least as uh, relative to the total social media population. Okay. Now, Mark, uh, let me give you an example. About two days ago, I logged into my uh, Google account. And mm. right after I logged in, uh, something popped up on the right-hand side of my screen. It turned mm. out to be a survey. Mm. And it asked me whether or not I think my data, my information is safe on Google, mm. which basically uh, leads me to ask you, do you think these social media giants uh, such as Alphabet, uh, uh, Meta, Twitter, they have started to uh, think that their users might not be trusting them anymore? Well, clearly, uh, public perception of social media platforms, particularly the very, very large platforms, has eroded significantly over the last three to five years, uh, ever since things like Cambridge Analytica and many of the very serious real-world cases of social media platforms being used to create organized violence, sometimes state-organized violence. Um, so every communication medium has the potential to be used in ways that we don't as a society or our different societies feel is a valid use. Uh, but the same was true of radio and film and certainly of telegraph and telephone. And the internet is just the most recent channel for humans to talk to humans. And one of the things that humans do when they talk to each other is uh, essentially engage in uh, lies. And so uh, the fact that the platforms enable that without much distinction between high quality information and low quality information, I think is the problem. And the fact that the platforms are commercially motivated to essentially extend the period of usage as their primary goal, their KPI is to keep you scrolling as long as possible. So that, that's an interesting and perhaps perverse incentive structure. Okay. If, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Finish. Oh, your and, and it just may be that because of the business models, because these are commercial services, they're going to have these pathologies that, let's say, uh, utility-like services would not. And so it is exciting that the early era of the internet involved all these startups, and some of them grew huge, and they've all been in a kind of laissez-faire, self-regulatory environment. But that doesn't mean that, like the early years of electricity generation, where everybody sort of generated their own, and then giant monopolies generated electricity, maybe municipalities also legitimately generate their own electricity. And similarly, maybe municipalities and nation states provide themselves with uh, communication services that stand outside the commercial market. And, and why would we want that? Well, because when, it, when these services exist exclusively within, within the commercial market, they are subject to commercial incentives that mean that other kinds of pathologies are not addressed. And what are those pathologies? There is a very real potential for misinformation and disinformation, basically disinformation, to carry people's public perceptions about an issue in ways that are useful, but not factual. So uh, as I understand, misinformation and disinformation is at, is at, the, is at the heart of uh, 
uh, this whole uh, problem. So let me ask you, how much responsibility do these social media giants have uh, in ensuring that our data, our information remains safe and secure? Uh, at the moment, they have very little and probably should have almost none because it's not for them to regulate themselves. It would be for nation states to provide the standards of operation, which would be different from telling uh, these organizations how to technically implement those things. But I'm uh, encouraged by the history of automobiles, which turned out to be useful, but deadly. And over an 80, 90, 100 year history have become much safer with the addition of safety equipment like airbags and safety belts and crush cages and things like that. And many governments, most governments, set standards for what an automobile must be in order to operate in their territories. Similarly, we could be telling social media platforms that they need mechanisms. So maybe they're like fire suppression mechanisms or they're like airbags. They're the mechanisms that are used in the low frequency but high consequence undesirable event. Some accidents happened. You've just hit a crash barrier. That's right. a really bad thing. So what would the equivalent set of tools be for the platforms? Well, we, we can certainly come up with a wide range of safety equipment for the platforms. Uh, and, and in our organization, we've been focusing on distributed editors as a design pattern, uh, a solution that would allow you to not only pick somebody to listen to, I'm going to follow some organization, but you could also elevate that to this organization is now my editor. They're going to have the power to remove content, not just generate it, remove content from my view. Now, that sounds like censorship, but it's not government censorship. It's editorship. And it's something that I get to choose who my editor would be and then promptly revoke that decision if I choose to. And this would allow civil society to return to the process, uh, to the role of gatekeeper, which when the Internet was first in its early days, we thought it was great that there were no gatekeepers. I think what has happened is that we now realize that gatekeepers were serving a function, however flawed that function was, and that we want that function back. The challenge we have is that we are being given kind of a false choice. You want censorship, people tell us. No, we don't. We want editorship. Otherwise, you get chaos. And so chaos or censorship, these are our choices. No. We have a third choice, and that is distributed editorship. And that would mean that, yes, I do grant some people the right to limit what I see. And certainly I could go and review that over time and revoke it if necessary. But a simple design solution, AI, NLP, ML, magic, you know, artificial intelligence stuff. Okay, but Mark, don't you think uh, nation states have still not figured out the difference between editorship and censorship? Well, they haven't, and that's fair, because they mostly react to serious problems on the Internet with censorship. And most people look at that as ham-handed and often politically motivated, and that's problematic. But most governments regulate the nature of the automobile that is going to operate on your highways. 
And we mostly agree that that's a good thing. And so maybe governments do need to step up their games and stop moving straight towards outright government censorship, which is problematic, and move towards these design standards like the way they regulate automobiles and say, hey, what would happen if somebody started sharing a message and it was on its face wrong and harmful? What would we do? Right now, the platforms say they reserve to themselves essentially a sovereign government-like ability to pick and choose themselves what content will be suppressed. And no doubt, people have strong negative opinions about Mr. Zuckerberg, the, you know, the CEO of Meta or Facebook or whatever they're going to call it, and no doubt, because we don't want to grant him that power. But the power still should exist within our societies. It just shouldn't be in the hands of a single individual or a single government official. But again, how do you persuade uh, them uh, to uh, basically give up some of that power? I think that governments will no doubt want to abuse power under certain circumstances. But there, there is a large case in which governments are legitimately seeking to perform the function of protection of their populations and don't understand what are their choices, that they could have this other choice, not just draconian state-imposed censorship and not laissez-faire, the platforms decide, then they all live in Menlo Park in California, 8,000 miles away, and they don't really know anything about our local issues. There's a middle path, and that middle path is to begin to say, like seatbelts, like airbags, like uh, you know, crash cages, the platforms need to start to have safety equipment. If you go into a skyscraper and you look up, you're going to see that there's uh, fire detectors and sprinklers. That's because it's too dangerous to let a big fire break out. Too many people are at risk. Now we have platforms with billions of people on them. And the equivalent of a fire is disinformation breaks out on the system. Sometimes that disinf disinformation is trivial. You know, this diet will make you thin and, uh, and attractive. Maybe, maybe that's not that trivial, but it's relatively trivial versus reject a medicine in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> that's a lot less trivial. So there are very serious consequences to disinformation. And there need to be standard practices on platforms that we can hold platforms to account to, to deliver that feature, not to do the censorship. Okay, Mark, just so it's clear for our audience, and these standard practices should be commissioned by nation states, correct? I think that's correct, or regulatory authorities of one sort or another. And I think that a good metaphor is the way in which financial accounting is performed under capitalism, where we have skilled and talented auditors, accountants, forensic accountants, who use advanced tools to analyze data to look for fraud. That could be something similar on the social media platforms. And in order to enable that, there might be something like financial reporting obligations, legal obligations to provide certain levels of financial data. That would take a nation state to impose. And so, yes, it's going to take some kind of international regulation or nation state sovereign regulation in order to say to the platforms, all of you must comply with certain standards of safety. Okay. It's such an, such an important discussion, Mark, but unfortunately, we're out of time. 
I would like to take this opportunity to thank you uh, oh, for taking out the time. Uh, as always, I really appreciate your analysis. Thanks, Laura. Thank you so much for the time today.